0: is linked to the cast episode 148 take two your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera available everywhere all good podcasts are sold apple podcasts SoundCloud, stitcher spotify and money more i'm your party host dave ryan and i'm joined by the platform prodigy mark robinson mark it's been a while since we've talked
1: dave ryan it has been a significant period of time and uh i'm not a fan of that but you know mm. such is life and such is the events of the pair of us that um Sometimes we just can't get in the same audible airwaves to to do such a thing.
0: This is why we've had to bring in the heavy hitter that is Jack Laizelle. Indeed. Such such is the way of things. Who himself Um, is on
1: assignment this week.
0: Yes, and our our other podcasting obligations as well has kind of further complicated our schedules, which has been... um, A fun and pleasurable time. I'll never complain about, like, you know, I enjoy getting in front of a microphone and talking shite. But, uh, like, the more I do that, the more I realize, hey, I have a lot less free time than I I, I thought I did. Um, But, yeah, as I kind of alluded to at the start there, Mark, this is the second opportunity I've had to do episode 148. There was supposed to be an episode last week with me and Jack LaZelle talking about Telltale Games, The Walking Dead. But uh, what good podcast, I ask you, my friend, can go without having a lost episode?
1: Yeah, to be fair, I'm surprised it's taken us this long. Uh,
0: Yeah, we've had episodes where we've kind of, in the middle of recording, had a problem and had to start again. But I don't think we've flat out lost a show having put it in the can before.
1: Not to my recollection, no. I think this would officially be the first one. And I'm glad that I'm not the one that had to deal with the technical nightmares of this. Yeah, because normally... Albatross is around your neck.
0: Yeah, normally you're the one for the the very unique audio problems on the program, but... uh, This time it was all on me. I I kind of I recorded my stream with myself and Jack do one. um, So when peek behind the curtain for anyone to get a shite, when Mark and I record Mark records it all on his end. But when myself and Jack record the way we typically do it is I record mine. He records his and we blend it together in post. Um, Jack's came through just fine, uh, but Audacity either crashed or updated or had a bug at some point because a file some sort of file got lost um when it saved to the project format and uh it wouldn't reopen without filling any gap uh caused by the bug with silence so there were entire like two or three minute stretches where i was definitely speaking where you can't hear me um which was uh That's not much real bad a no, it's not. It's more like it was Jack reacting to silence for an hour and a half, which would be some kind of like, I suppose, postmodern audio uh, just experience. sounds like, like a Lou Reed album. Yeah, indeed. Um, and like, you know, in other podcasts, it may not be as noticeable, but the fact that myself and Jack are both incredibly verbose people, it means like pretty much about 50 percent of the audio was lost. Um, So, yeah, we will take a swing at The Walking Dead once again down the line at some stage. But as I said to Mark uh, on the pre-show here before we started recording, I I don't uh, want to endeavor to do that twice in a row. Because if we lost this show, I I just I'd lose my reason (laughs) uh, after trying it again. So we will take another swing. Um, How have you been, my friend? It's been a while.
1: Yeah, uh, so I... uh... (laughs) I uh, proceeded to watch every single Harry Potter film uh, in a row over a 24-hour period from the time... Now,
0: would you you describe yourself as a Harry Potter fan?
1: Uh, I wouldn't really... I'm not a hater or a fan. I sit, like, slap-bang in the middle. Um, I had seen the first two films, and I'd seen uh, The Half-Blood Prince, and then I'd seen bits and pieces of others through the years because, you know... Harry Potter films end up on Christmas Day or whatever.
0: <clears throat> oh, yeah. Big, big Christmas film. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So, you know, just by sheer, you know, coincidence, not coincidence, but just sheer watching t- television over Christmas, you end up seeing Harry Potter films. Uh, and I hadn't read any past the second one since I was, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. So... um I know you don't have of, that
0: same kind of uh, you. You have the same level of familiarity, but not the same level of attachment as a no, lot of people in no, our age bracket not. would.
1: And like my partner is very much uh, a Harry Potter fan. She has a Harry Potter tattoo. She you know loves and adores. Can I guess? Them. Is it the Deathly Hallows? It is the Deathly Hallows, but it also has the word always as a part of it as well. So yeah. it's you know it's it's nice. Um, the Deathly Hallows I find
0: is like if I were, I think it's why a lot of people have the tattoos. Like it is the most like easily recognizable but also like passable as just a cool bit of design yeah thing associated with harry potter like anything else associated with harry potter you're getting real deep into the the magical fantasy weeds whereas this is a cool little I don't
1: know, uh, bit. i'd also accept a picture of alan Rickman's face i mean i'm, <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with that but uh yeah so well, as, I... as hans Gruber, surely well naturally obviously yeah um but, yeah, so I went into this not having seen any of the films properly in, in a good long while and vaguely having a, a full understanding of the story from beginning to end. Certainly more the earlier parts than the latter parts. Um, and you know, obviously this is a challenge, is a challenge to watch 8 films in a row over a 24 hour period, we had breaks in between for like dinner and breakfast in the morning. Uh, the first thing of note, surprisingly, is that other than I think I fell asleep for about 10 minutes during Half-Blood Prince, because it is my least favourite of the films, I did manage to stay awake for the whole thing, um, and partly just because I realised if I fell asleep during any point, At some point in the fucking, you know, seventh film, something would happen that referenced something that happened earlier that I'd fall asleep during. And so I wanted to make sure I, from beginning to end, knew what the fuck was going on. And, I mean, overall, I will say that I don't think any of the films are um, particularly excellent. I don't think any of them I would consider bad. I do think that one or two, particularly the first part of Deathly Hallows, there is a whole bunch of that film where a whole lot of nothing is happening. Uh, and I still think The Half Prince is just kind of like, this only exists because it needs to set up the last film. Um, and actually, there are kind of certain points during the middle portion of the film, the, the middle portion of the story where um, it's like, there's just a lot of setup here for stuff that's going to happen later and just kind of meandering around for the... Earth you know in between um i think um deathly hallows
0: one um even the idea of splitting the two films remains a controversial thing to this day because even though the <clears throat> excuse me the the book itself does split pretty evenly the way it does in the film mm-hmm. where it's like the first half is largely kind of walking and talking and them kind of running away and camping and all that sort of stuff. And the second half of the book is pretty much the battle of Hogwarts. Like yeah. it splits quite nicely. But I think, um, I think it's to the detriment of the first part that the second part is so action heavy that it, it really blows the first part out of the water.
1: Um, yeah, It's it's a very, very much a jarring shift between the two. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just that first definitely Hallows film just drags a little bit too long. Yeah. And partly as I well, think, because like, I just watched ends... seven, six other fucking films in a row it ends exactly at the most interesting point as
0: well, because you're just uh, and like, I remember uh, when I went to see it going Oh fuck now I have to wait like six months or eight months or whatever it was uh, for like the actual resolution to this motherfucker. (laughs) Um, So like, I I imagine Deathly Hallows would be better, like not at the end of a huge double bill or at a huge marathon, but if you watch the two of them together rather than the first one, then waited for the second one.
1: Yeah. I imagine it's a little bit more palatable. Um, The other things of note: um, the acting by the kids in the first film is pretty awful, but I mean, it's. To i didn't say the first two. Yeah, uh, it's it's to be expected, and it's not even that they're, they're bad actors, but there's so much where it's like they're trying really hard to show the emotion that they're trying to convey. That it's, you know, it's, it's clear the signs of okay, they're you know they're not used to being on the big screen, they're not used to acting, and so it's like okay. Con- Convey the emotion of being, you know, confused or sad or whatever. And it's just, it's, they're thinking about it as they're trying to do it. And it's so clearly apparent.
0: I I think it's such a huge contrast as well because, like, everybody who isn't a child in it is like a who's who of (laughs) classically trained British actors. Exactly. And
1: it's like, there's fucking John Cleese. And it's like, (laughs) how can you, how can you expect to stand up to that?
0: Alan Rickman, Maggie Smith, Robbie Coltrane. Like, it's just. It, it just, it, yeah, it makes them look even worse by comparison. Um, and at least the second one has a couple of like uh, cool kind of small roles in it, like uh, one Kenneth Branagh uh in in the second one really carries it as gilderoy lockhart like chewing every bit of scenery around but uh my my favorite was always the third one prisoner of azkaban is uh best book and best film um i know it's kind of like it's harder with the books because the books are pretty much maintain a quite good level of quality the whole way through it's easier to pick a favorite film than a favorite book um but, like, I really like the third one because it's where the books and the movies get significantly darker. I think this third one was directed by, was it Alfonso Cuaron, the guy who directed Itumama Tambien? Uh,
1: that it's thing the... rings a bell from yeah, the credits. Yeah, I think he directed the third one. Um, I mean, to be honest, yet... any moment you have Gary Oldman on screen, the quality immediately yeah. improves. So
0: Gary Oldman, he's brilliant in it. Um, the Dementors are in it, which are, like, such a, like, cool, fucking scary as shit thing if you're a kid. Um and then just that it's the, like, it's, it's, yeah, it is. Like, it's, um, it's the only book that he, that Voldemort is not in.
1: Um.
0: Because he's in the back of Quirrell's head in the first one. He's Tom Riddle he's Tom in the Riddell second, the second one. one. He returns in the fourth, the fourth one. one. He yep. fights he's... in the Ministry of Magic in the fifth one. Yep. He's all over the sixth and the seventh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So it's the only one he's not in, and it kind of, like, even though his presence hangs over it, um, it's kind of interesting that it's just a different, it doesn't feel like the whole book is, like, is ending up with another kind of fight with a near escape by Voldemort, and it feels a little bit different.
1: Yeah, Um, I'd be curious... um... Slightly off topic from that, but I'd be curious. I don't know what the the box sets, the Blu-ray editions, whatever are like. But from watching the first film, um, and from what I think was like a, a I don't know if it was an original uh, theater release that I watched, but it's one of those films that um, I know. You know, if you watch uh, like the original Star Wars with the facelift they gave that, and the, the CGI yeah. which just it looks horrendous and it's so mm. poorly implemented. But that first Harry Potter film. Uh, it's one of those films where the CGI. You're like, okay, that probably could do with a, a touch up in 2019. Bit because, of an airbrushing. <laughs> yeah, like there's a couple of there's one particular scene where he um, is on top of the yoga and uh, it, oh yeah yeah. It, you, you just the 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 switch between okay, this is. Daniel Radcliffe and okay that is a CGI model is really fucking jarring and you can see definitely during the Quidditch match like they do everything they can to avoid you seeing anything to do with like facial details as I just get the outline of a body
0: do you know what's funny is that, like, still to this day, I see things that have trouble with that kind of technology, like people on a CGI thing riding around, because that last season of Game of Thrones, you see some, some shots of Daenerys on the dragon, and you're like, ooh. <laughs> um,
1: but apparently lions but, are really easy to animate, and, I mean, Disney has mm-hmm. more money than God, so that probably helps.
0: Yeah. Um Hey, Mark, was one of your favorite things watching this again, trying to uh, pop yourself with what English or, or British musicians have popped up in in small roles so (laughs) because it's pretty much all of them
1: i was just watching this like minding my business and then suddenly like wait was that fucking ian brown what the fuck is he doing in this
0: ian brown and the leaky cauldron stirring a cup of tea by magic
1: yeah Um, uh jarvis cocker i as soon as i saw him i remembered that i'd seen before and i popped that uh i know you and jack were pointing out that apparently johnny greenwood is in it i did not See that at all, and I need to go back and look for myself because I was like, "Okay, Radiohead in a Harry Potter film, sure, okay." Yeah. Uh, but um, just the... there's
0: also the the ordinary boys technically. Yeah, make ordinary boys playing the background, which yeah. that
1: really dated that fucking film. Jesus.
0: Yeah. Um, um, my favorite one though, again, is in the third one, Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, you know who the conductor on the bus is?
1: Uh, no, I
0: couldn't. He's under very greasy. And spotty makeup, but it's uh, Bobby Gillespie from *Primal Screen*. Oh, it's a
1: fucking Bobby. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: I, like he looks facially familiar, but I could not As... put a, a, a kind of an actual person I recognize. What's that to character's it. name? Stan Shunpike, Pike, I think. I ain't got a goddamn clue.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there you go. It's a, it's really a who's hu- who of British actors and musicians. Oh yeah,
1: I, across like the whole entire series, you know, you think of a British actor and they pop up at some point. Uh, and
0: oh, also, you said it's been years since you've really watched any of the films. Uh, seeing as he's become famous a lot more since the the films came out originally, did you completely forget David Tennant was in the fourth
1: one? No, I remember David Tennant was in it, but I had forgotten that he uh that he i I remember that he was in it. But so one of the things with actually the the films as a whole is I'd forgotten how little really Voldemort actually kind of shows up how little Bellatrix actually shows up and how little David Tennant is because i for some reason in my brain i was like no Tennant is actually he shows up for a fair amount of these Ten- films Tennant
0: shows up yeah he's like the end of the fourth one and he's in the last one a bit isn't he
1: i don't remember seeing him in the last one
0: or was, it, was it, I'm pretty oh, sure does he not he's not
1: show up again? No, I'm pretty sure he's just in the fourth one, then gets sent to Azkaban, right. and that's it. I wonder who I'm thinking of. But I I completely just not realized that Voldemort really isn't actually around as much as yeah. I had thought he was, and which is a shame because Ralph Fiennes is is incredible. Um, <laughs> but I also have forgotten that Bellatrix actually isn't around as much as I thought Um so and but... she's
0: very good in it. Like oh, it's she, probably Helena
1: Bonham Carter is incredible. I, it's I probably sh- my favorite yeah. Helena Bonham Carter apart from Marla and Fight Club I would say. Um I I like her in um the uh what the fucks the one with Johnny Depp. Um oh, Sweeney Todd. <laughs> Sweeney Todd. Yeah, yeah. I I like her in that. I like that film in general. Um Um yeah, it's I You just I... End it with yourself as a real
0: Johnny Depp stand the last few weeks on the show, between this and the, the pirates.
1: <laughs> I mean, has, as awful as a human being as he is, he is a good actor and I enjoy Parts of the Caribbean and Sweeney Todd. I can't wait to start hitting me with um, some
0: more obscure johnny Depp films in a few weeks when you start running out of them tell me about your views on what's eating gilbert grape and i'll I'll, I'll
1: tell you how much i enjoy minecraft but that doesn't mean that i have to enjoy the views of one notch
0: yeah i'll tell you what though um of his films i'd say my favorite probably still is edward
1: yeah i figured Uh. you would say edward
0: Edwards great um i don't really have much kind of like uh, uh, to chat about non-games wise at the moment uh, i if we had recorded this show a day later i would because tomorrow afternoon mark i'm going to go see the fast and furious presents hobson and shaw i am i am going in work early so that i can leave work early so that i can catch the first screening of it in my cinema because it is going to be the dumbest movie of the year and i'm so fucking excited
1: yeah, see, I, I saw uh, Spirited Away on the big screen last night because the Lighthouse Cinema uh, was doing, a, you know... A, a different experience. Very much a different experience and very much one I would take over Hobson Shore.
0: Well, we both recently saw uh, 20th anniversary screenings of The Matrix.
1: That is true. Oh, so you went to see that as well. Um, yeah. yeah, that's fucking awesome, isn't it? <laughs> that movie still owns, man. Hugo Weaving, he is just the fucking man
0: he's so like larry fishburne is also still a man no, like some of, some of the way he uh some of the ways he delivers line both of them deliver lines and it just still pop me absolutely yeah, yeah and
1: i had to say not that you know the matrix and the story being told is actually that kind of mad of a concept but i think definitely for a western audience in the mm-hmm. late 90s i can see how that would just you know your casual uh western cinema movie goer would go and see that and just be like have their fucking mind blown by it. both the concepts of it and you know just visually uh... something
0: points out there's a there's a podcast i like to listen to now that's called blank check right and what they do is they they pick a director who has gotten to a point in their career where they can pretty much do anything they want and then episode by episode, they go through their entire filmography until they get to that point where they got the blank check. So they well, do they the. Only done,
1: they'd only done like two films before the one, Matrix. One, oh, it was just the one. There was one cinematic
0: release. There was there was one cinematic release, and then one film that I think was like their their film school film that yeah, got yeah, released yeah, yeah, yeah. That after right. the fact. Um. But yeah, this this was their second feature movie, and uh, like just it's it's absolute like how yeah
1: i know right <laughs> how did they uh, convince a fucking western movie studio that you know give us lots of money and we're gonna create something that you know would seem normal in a late 80s cyberpunk japanese anime but you know in a western major movie uh cinematic release i i don't understand how the fuck i mean obviously fantastic that it get that get made but I, st- I just don't know how
0: here's my favorite point right so like we came from the generation where the matrix was like the biggest sci-fi movie of its era yeah. like bar none bar none probably the most significant impact on the genre since star wars um or or, or blade runner um but The the thing they pointed out that drives me absolutely wild when I think about it uh, on that Blank Check podcast is if you think about how long it is between the start of that movie and when they actually explain what The Matrix is. And like, if you think about it, we grew up in the generation where more than likely before a lot of us would have sat down, especially us who were too young to go see in the cinema originally. We knew from references in pop culture what The Matrix was. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a surprise to us. But can you imagine how fucked up that first half hour is? Yep. Yep. before they actually explain what it is and the things you're seeing and all this sort of shit like um oh, like my brain would be mush
1: <laughs> and i'll tell you one thing as well just to go back slightly to harry potter like that film came out a couple of years later and you look at that film and you know it's yeah, visual yeah two, two
0: years later wasn't it
1: about that um and you know the film visually holds up pretty fucking remarkably like there isn't too yeah, much in there's, it that...
0: there's a couple of effect shots the the bit where she dives through the window and, yeah that definitely the bit
1: where he bounces off the concrete yes um but other than that i mean oh my god I, there's a, a guy uh called Dude, Oliver the, Harper. that
0: that um that lobby fight scene is still one of the fucking coolest things
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: in fact that whole sequence like lobby fight scene to the bit on the where they rescue Morpheus um leading into the fight in the tunnel with Smith uh, and in the subway station just fucking Gripping cinema.
1: Yeah, no, there's uh, there's a guy called Oliver Harper who has a YouTube series where he really, you know, gives a lot of analysis on films and the background of how the films got made, the production behind it, and everything. And he talks about, you know, certain parts of certain certain scenes in the film. And he talks about the bit with, you know, the the bullet time and how they have like just a series of cameras going around in a circle that take uh, shots like one kind of millisecond after another, or however it was, to you know, create that illusion and um it's just oh my god and it's just such a shame that they you know fucked it up with the next two but hey nothing can be perfect
0: yeah um the like
1: the
0: the thing about those films is like there are there are ways you can read those films like there are some good things in the films like the 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 freeway chase sequence in the second one is fucking brilliant um as is the fight scene in the Merovingian's house um yes I I, I mean hey we can sit here and we can talk about scenes that are good yeah indeed and there are some stuff like I, I do think um the mechs versus sentinels fight in Zion in the third one is pretty cool but that film is a total mess um but anyway yeah yeah um the, the thing that uh that always gets me when people bring it up um are the had the matrix movie we nearly had you know who nearly played neo and nearly played morpheus
1: um, both, both both turned it down fuck i actually um harper actually he he mentions this and oh who is it who is it who is it I think Will Smith was up for it.
0: Um, Will Smith turned down Neo Yeah. Um, in order to do... Oh, what was it he did? It was something <laughs> crap. Oh, the Wild Wild West. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a man who turned down the role of Morpheus was Sean Connery.
1: Oh, my God, Sean Connery. Can you imagine?
0: Oh, it would have been entirely different. Can you different imagine him Hardy?
1: with those glasses sitting down there offering uh, Neo the red and blue pills?
0: The, the the legend goes that he just didn't understand the script that's <laughs> why so he I, turned it down that seems fair Um, he'd retire from acting a, a year or two later because he did that League of Extraordinary Gentlemen adaptation and it was terrible and he retired after that
1: and we've never seen him since um, yeah
0: yeah indeed Um, shall we talk about video games
1: yeah we should do that at some point shouldn't we
0: cool playing this week hey check it out I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2 Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh,
1: thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, hit me. Uh, so I finally downloaded and played a hell of a lot of Baba Is You. Uh, how, go- how good is that game? Babar Is You uh, is really fucking good. And <laughs> the thing about it is, like, it's actually, I, I downloaded it. And then it sat on my uh, front screen, my homepage of my Switch for about two weeks, because um, I'd still been playing Mario Maker, uh, and you know I was just spending time trying to get my level completed. So I just didn't, didn't want to get distract myself with anything anything else. Um, and even though you have spoken about Bowser you on this show. I guess I still didn't fully understand what the fuck that game would be until I sat down and started playing it.
0: It is very difficult to get across what that game is.
1: Yeah, but as soon as I did the first level, I immediately went, "Oh, that's what this game is," and just went from there. And I, you know, I'm not going to do a, a complete uh, analysis and de- give details on what that game is because you've already done it. But just the idea that you know you have essentially taking taken the concept of coding and turn it into a video game and you know the way that you have to subvert your expectations and and break the game in different ways and that you know getting from a to b just simply isn't possible and you have to you know Baba is you now let's make the rock is you and then the rock is you and this and all these kind of different uh, if statements to complete a level, just fucking, you know, I sat there at a screen for an hour and have not touched the button because I'm just looking at the screen trying to figure out, okay, if I put this with that and this with that, what do I get? How does this, and you know, you. it's just, even if you want to try and brute force some of those levels, it's just not possible, um, but oh my god, it's... Easily, you know, straight up there with one of my favorite games of the year. And, it it and also as a kind of is just—it's incredible.
0: I, you may think I'm mad, right? But I, mean, I would like—you <laughs> may think I'm even madder than usual. Uh, I would like to draw a comparison between this game and The Witness, please. Don't. In as much as, don't. in as much as it's a puzzle game where, like you said, brute forcing is not going to help you. And another thing I found very similar to The Witness is that it's the kind of game where. Say you're on, uh, stuck on a particular level. If you were to look up the solution to that level, and therefore not learn the lesson that la- that level is trying to teach you, you're fucked.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's. As... You may
0: as well just, like, look up solutions for the rest of them.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's as uh, as bad or as severe as <laughs> it was in the witness, but I do think that yes, the the same kind of concept in theory applies.
0: Yeah. Um. But yeah good times
1: i very good times um i don't know if i'll be finishing it anytime soon because it's a fucking nightmare and it's breaking my head and i'll sit there for an hour and maybe i'll complete one level and then i just have to go and you know have a palate cleanser with something else so it's going to take me some time but uh yeah babbitt is you babbitt is good
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, the thing I've been playing, and it's something that will lead into our first news story, so we'll park the the, the reason why it's newsworthy in, um, I've been playing Doom on my Nintendo Switch.
1: I, I've heard of this game. Yeah,
0: so... But, the, but, but,
1: huh, which version of Doom, young young Dave?
0: Um, So, I have gotten... Uh, it was announced last week, and it's, it's part of what we'll be talking about in the news. All of a sudden, last Friday... Um, at QuakeCon, was it QuakeCon? Uh,
1: yeah, QuakeCon was last week, or yeah, at, the last couple of days or whatever.
0: At at QuakeCon, they just shadow dropped Doom One, Two, and Three, uh, on Switch and PS4 and Xbox One, just fucking out of nowhere. Um, the prices are, are Doom One and Doom Two are a fiver, and Doom Three is a tenner, which I think are fairly reasonable. Uh reasonable. for yeah for all-time classic games and uh, they're not kind of like they're not in that final fantasy seven super mario brothers category of they've been re-released on 100 consoles by now that you don't want to pay the fiber for them um it's still kind of they've been a little bit more protective of that th- that original trilogy than you may have expected from a lot of developers nowadays um but however, uh, playing the first couple of episodes of Doom one, the, the 1993 Doom on my switch one, it's it, like it's not wild in a technological way that I'm able to carry that game around with me, but it is wild in the way that like it's the first game I ever remember playing. That's it's still one of my favorite games of all time. And people just crack it out on a whim uh, on a bus or whatever and, and just get to town um shooting some demons is awesome uh you will you will kind of forget if it's been a while since you played doom that game is hard man
1: yeah yes doom is hard
0: (laughs) yeah like kind of you know we talked about how hard doom 2016 is like you know it's pretty brutal um when especially during that phase where it's trying to teach you all about the push forward combat uh in there but yeah man like doom doom is really tough um like obviously because you know the like there's a lot of enemies the enemies are tough um but as well like if you're trying to get full completion on it um some of the power times for those courses are ridiculously brief like e1 m1 uh the iconic first level of doom the power for clearing that course is 30 seconds um so like you're you're really going to have to absolutely boot it to try hit par and then like even more so than doom 2016 the secrets in that original doom game are buried in those maps um and it's a wonder how like obviously in, in 2019 now we know about easter eggs and things like that and kind of we know the kinds of things to look for back in 1993 it wasn't really there wasn't this huge culture of of as many secrets or easter eggs in games and you'd wonder how people without guides were finding this shit back in 1993 although i guess there were far fewer games that you had a lot of time to pour around doom to find absolutely everything
1: yeah and i you know doom is so iconic and um you know we were at the very 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 early ages of of the internet and um you know message boards and whatnot so uh for those that were uh, very much in the know i guess there were still there were the abilities to find that information but for the most part yeah, yeah we were a different breed of gamers back then um but i i've seen some people saying that you know there are certain it's not technically perfect there's uh, issues with the music at certain points um and then obviously the big point of contention that we'll talk about when it gets to the news we'll yeah. uh, discuss that I- there
0: you know i have a feeling that when the thing we're going to talk about gets solved because any bugs i've experienced have been in relation to that thing yeah um but but we'll get we'll get to that now in a, in a second uh, other than that though like hearing that soundtrack again like it just it gets you every time um and the game still moves fast as fuck it, it still feels good um it feels right on that Nintendo console and I'm happy to say that when it gets docked because like obviously it's cool in handheld mode um when it gets docked to the tv there's not a huge amount of stretching you'd think with a game of that resolution and that old that it would look all stretched across a giant tv screen but not really so much um I'm I'm quite happy with it um yeah that's that's doom really there's not a whole like I'm, I'm not gonna go sit here and Go through a twenty-six-year-old game that we've already done on the book club. Yeah, <laughs> and tell you what it's, it's, not it's not about. Like we've if you never haven't heard of what about...
1: Doom is, you might want to fucking look it up, mate. It's not like we've never spoken about Doom before on this yeah. uh, on this podcast, so probably don't need to spend too much more time. But yeah, but I, I'm Why just, yeah. I'm happy that I have Doom on my Switch. I'm happy that I had enough gold coins that I could buy it without having to actually pay for it. Doom is a game yeah. that I will probably just keep on my Switch till my Switch dies one day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's move on and just talk about the news. News on the march. Yeah, our first news story this week related to the last game that we were talking about, Doom, and the, the problems around something Bethesda decided to do on a goof. Um, so from what we can tell in hindsight, either it's kind of a mixed bag on as to why this issue occurred but uh, suffice to say the game requires you to log in once to bethesda net uh when you uh start the game first to, to kind of like uh the one of the people who helped with the port explained that it it's for the, you know, the Slayers Club thing that they announced in conjunction with Doom Eternal. So for fans of the franchise, there's like uh, rewards to be got from playing the old Doom games and, and leaderboards and, and shit like that. Um, so it was supposed to be tied into all that. Um, it seems from a lot of people reporting on the story that the plan was supposed to make that login optional and it just didn't work out that way. Um, But either way, like it's got to be said, a mild annoyance for a mild annoyance for people who already have Bethesda net accounts like me and have completely forgotten the password (laughs) Um, and a slightly bigger annoyance for people that just have to create uh, another account on another platform uh, yeah, it really I... feels like the dark old days of like 2010 2011 when every publisher was trying to make you sign into their thing
1: i'm pretty sure they're still trying to do that yeah i mean for me i don't have the professor account the slays account whatever it is um, and I don't have any intentions to. And so as soon as I saw that, I was like, well, either Bethesda are going to patch this out at some point because I would guess that this is a mistake, and there is no fucking reason that there should be a, a DRM restriction on a 23 or whatever it is year old game. Uh, so I, yeah, I I kind of guessed straight away that this was some sort of error, or it was either an error, or there would be a backlash so severe that Bethesda would realise uh, probably shouldn't have this. So. Uh, you know, I haven't actually started Doom yet because I don't know if the patch has come out yet. I haven't actually checked my uh, copy of Doom since I, the first time I tried to play it. Um, yeah, the yeah. last I've heard is that
0: they're they're working on the fix and it should be out soon. Um, but yeah, they basically said it should be optional. You shouldn't have to log in. So we're going to fix that straight away. Um, but yeah, once you get in, the problem as well is that it kind of like a lot of... Um, games with logins like i experience it with fifa and stuff like that when i put my playstation into rest mode is that it bumps you out of the network when you put it in rest mode so when you suspend the game and resume it will give you a notification that you've been signed out of bethesda.net you can still play but sometimes there's a bug where just like every 10 or 20 seconds that notification will pop up again Um, so what you end up having to do is save reboot the game so that it won't do it again um and then the the other thing is that it, because of that sometimes because it's trying to force the notification through sometimes when you resume the game from a suspend state it freezes um so like that's all quite frustrating for a game that is fairly technologically simple uh compared to stuff from nowadays so like they've really fucked it on that one and i would imagine just because of the issues that that the pezdenet thing is causing with performance when you're booting out of suspend i would suspect that that is the cause of some of the bug issues with like music and stuff like that that you were talking about Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's been a real they have real like punted that one uh jesus christ
1: yeah it's i wonder um because we've seen this a couple of times with with certain things where uh, like sonic mania had this issue when it first came out the xbox one obviously infamously when it was launched and i wonder if there are um you know genuine mistakes here or it's just publishers are going to keep trying this until the outcry doesn't happen one day and then you know we're just like yeah we'll just accept this now But um, it it doesn't happen frequent enough. So when it does happen, everyone will immediately go, Mm no, I'm in this.
0: Yeah. Like it, you know, it seems suspicious that they were kind of like, oh, no, no, we didn't mean to do this uh, when they get in trouble for it after the fact. Because you're like, how did you not know that this was going to happen? But at the same time, I guess, like they're not doing the mandatory DRM stuff with all their other games so why would be the first one that they make absolutely mandatory the one that's 26 years old so it kind of does and then some of the reporting around it seems to indicate yeah this one was a genuine mistake of their part but because it's Bethesda I think we're inclined to go was it yeah <laughs> you know or or was it a bit more sinister than you're letting on um it, it's t- it's tough to parse sometimes um uh, but what can you do um yeah, yeah. Um, I I
1: don't have more more to say in this. It's uh... nor do I. Yeah. Um. There's
0: something that myself and Jack were talking about last week. This is an interesting thing. Um. So Marcus, that time of year where we're reporting on Pro Evo and FIFA news, uh, and we thought you'd gotten to dodge it last week, but the the last show has seen to it that we have to talk about it this week. Um. So Mark, you'll remember, even though you're not the the biggest aficionado of the football games, that back in the day. Uh, one of the key things that separated Pro Evo from FIFA when FIFA wasn't the best of the two games to play, when Pro Evo was definitely the the better feeling football game. Well, uh, the thing FIFA held on to was that it had a monopoly on on licenses for teams and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and in the last few years, um, we've seen Pro Evo strike out and get a few sponsorship deals with clubs. They've signed licensing agreements to get individual clubs in. They have a couple of leagues in now. They generally will have Syria. They will generally have. I think La Liga has been in it on and off. Uh, same with the Eredivisie in Holland, and then with some individual clubs. So they had a, like a three-year exclusivity deal where um, they they had Liverpool. Uh, as like a kind of big club in the game and even though so the reason why we'll get to why it's different to the the one they've just done but um because the premier league negotiates its licensing rights for games collectively no one can take a team from england sign an exclusive deal with them and they can't appear in another game uh if someone has a collective right uh Licensing agreement with the Premier League. So you can sign Liverpool, but you can't stop Liverpool from appearing elsewhere. Same with Barcelona. Um, which they had a three-year licensing agreement with, but they did find an extra petty thing to do, which I thought was hilarious, where uh, Barcelona signed a three-year agreement with Pro Evo a couple of years ago, and the thing that they got exclusives, you couldn't get Barcelona exclusively in the game and stop them from appearing in FIFA, but you could get the Nou Camp, Barcelona's home stadium, as an exclusive. So for the last two years uh, on FIFA, the Nou Camp doesn't appear. It's like generic outdoor stadium. I can't even think of the actual name of it. It's
1: the Boo Camp.
0: Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, but this year, uh, Pro Evo have thought of a different way around things. They are going, um, they they're going for the throat, and they have gone and actually signed um, Juventus exclusively. And this means uh, Juventus will not appear in FIFA for the next three years. They will have to be referred to in FIFA games as Piemonte Calcio. Um. I don't know if you have uh, any thoughts on this, Mark. Because it, to me, it's like a real—it's um, a real throwback to when, like Pro Evo, wouldn't have the licenses. The name Piemonte even used to be used by Pro Evo because it's the area of Italy that Turin is in. Um, it's just it feels like a real throwback to the brand wars of going well we've got the licenses and you don't which feels like it was a bygone thing <laughs> so
1: i i'm not as surprised because i think um juventus uh, as a whole um well like it's surprising and not surprising because it's its not surprising because juventus want to have a little bit more of their own you know they have they've changed the t-shirt because their t-shirt looks very much like a, you know, a referee's t-shirt and you know, they're yeah. trying to make inroads in America. They're trying to become yeah, bigger they, and more established. They changed
0: the, they changed the emblem a couple of years ago to yeah. the big J. Uh, uh,
1: so I don't know whether this, I well, imagine this has to play a part in that, but, you, absolutely would, it does, but yeah. you would think that, I don't know, removing their image and brand or whatever from FIFA would be a drawback from that. So I'm, I'm curious to see, where they think that doing this um, is going to make more of an impact because, obviously, FIFA has just pulled away from Pez in the last couple of years. But, uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting. I think this is definitely something that Juve... Um, I'd be curious to know who kind of reached out to who, but uh, of all the teams that have decided to go with Pez for this, considering what Juve are trying to do in terms of building their name and their brand, it's not as surprising. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, pez and konami need to take their little kind of shots where they can to try and add some appeal like from the licensing and branding side with with their games um and sure yeah i imagine uve were were all over that
0: yeah i think it's an interesting thing because i don't think like uve are are such uh they are a big global brand and they're getting bigger with their like we said their inroads into america and asia Um, But I don't think they're big enough that their exclusivity to Pro Evo is going to move the needle to close that. Like it is an enormous gap in terms of sales between them and FIFA. It certainly gained them this news cycle. And it's got a lot of people really annoyed with EA that they're after letting, um, after getting the Champions League and Europa League finally off Pro Evo because they had the license for, I think, three or five years that um, they let one of the biggest clubs in European football <laughs> out the back door in the process. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think this is going to hurt FIFA sales wise at all. I think the things that are more likely to hurt FIFA are the, the, shall we say, the shitstorm brewing. Finally, all this talk of EA and microtransactions and uh, loot boxes and stuff is, it feels like some of the chickens are coming home to roost with Ultimate Team because they had even today as we're recording this there was a big online Q&A stream with the FIFA devs and they were getting an absolute battering over um that kind of stuff and over refusing to put women in Ultimate Team and like it's yeah it, it feels like they have enough negative press on other things that I don't think the Uve thing is going to affect them <laughs> by comparison um yeah it's a it's a tough one like if i was pro evo i'd be absolutely made up and delighted with that deal being struck because obviously the biggest star at juventus is cristiano ronaldo one of the two greatest football players of his generation and possibly the most marketable footballer in the world so being able to slap his face on the cover of a game is gonna make some casuals pick it up um so yeah fair play to them um It is worth saying, by the way, speaking of Cristiano Ronaldo, all the players and their names will still appear. It's literally just the name Juventus and the logo and the branding and the strip that that won't be available uh, in FIFA 20. But more on, on that as we ramp up to those two games coming out in the next two months uh mark this seems like something that it's good that we got a second chance to do this uh with you on the show something me and jack also talked about and that was a fiasco around watchdogs and hit record uh were you following this story uh no i'm not aware of this so you remember before um there was i, I think was it assassin's creed or whatever there was a there was another ubisoft game where hit record which is joseph gordon levitt's kind of uh crowdsourcing music platform oh uh fuck what game was that for um it wasn't assassin's creed it was uh fuck i can't remember what it wasn't a T-Clans game was it
1: i i'm gonna go and look it up continue talking because i'm I, I, uh no wasn't it it was beyond good and evil oh it was yeah beyond good and evil too yeah um
0: so there was a thing announced for watchdogs legion which is coming out this year that uh 10 songs from the hit record platform would be picked to be part of the soundtrack and if your song was picked you would get two thousand dollars for it um and this has brought up a lot of a lot of the same issues from last time one you're getting people to do a lot of work based on spec which is the the concept that you're getting people to work hours and hours and hours for free uh, on the promise of potential future payment that is not guaranteed because it is only the 10 songs that are selected. Um, another problem is that that two grand is to the entire song. And the the way the hit record platform works is that I could uh, develop a drumbeat and upload it to hit record, Mark could hear that and add a bass line to it. And then a third person could add some Vox or some guitar to it. And if that song then gets picked, that's not two thousand each. That's two thousand between the four people. Um, So it's not even that much money for the spec. And obviously the main defense that's coming up against this is uh the, the old trope mark of the well if you think of it as an an exercise in exposure, we're giving you exposure as being part of this big triple A release. But um it is
1: a bit a a bit scummy, I think. Like even if they included something, uh, some sort of royalties scheme um that, you know, you would make uh, x amount off of you know every sale because you're part of the game uh, i could see at least a little bit more of an incentive but yeah i mean it's just here's a flat fee of two grand uh so we don't have to go and pay whatever licenses for whatever actual real music um i, I do think that the the concept behind it and i think that um uh gordon levitt like i think he's and certainly with with the, the prior scheme, you know, with um, Beyond Good and Evil. I think there is genuine good intentions behind it, but because the video game industry is what it is, um, any ways that we can, you know, save a few pennies here and there to our bottom line, um, it's, it's just too easy to think that way, and maybe that's on us for being so cynical. Um, but it's one of those things that... Uh, on paper sounds really good but just as usual the execution there's a lot left to be desired Uh, and that's usually the case when it comes to um, you know rights and laws when it comes to technology because it's still a new medium and you know uh, just things are changing all the time and it's hard to kind of nail down exactly who owns what and everything and um, yeah it's just it's a poorly implemented idea for what something in theory has i feel kind of good intentions at heart but it's just you know, it's so restricted yeah, I, in terms of what the people that are making this can actually get out of it and there's something as well about the um
0: the idea that someone like joe gordon levitt who is unionized up to the hilt through his profession of acting um and like acting unions are so against spec work Uh, the idea that he'd come in now and and kind of basically go oh no that's not what we're doing i don't see it like his defense was not we're not doing that his defense was well i don't see it that way you know it's um hmm. i'm not a big fan of this i'll be honest No,
1: i would agree with you on that one
0: um moving swiftly on um Mark, something that we've been keeping track of since the 2017 release of the Nintendo Switch is this idea of the Joy-Con drift, which was uh, a big problem with like the first run of Joy-Cons and has recurred on and off in some Joy-Cons since, uh, according to reports. There was a class action lawsuit being built um, by dissatisfied Nintendo customers who obviously these Joy-Cons are quite expensive, like 60, 70 quid a pop, aren't they? Uh, Right about that, yeah. For a set. Um and there was this idea of like Joy-Con desyncing and drifting, um, that they just weren't working over time. And part of it has to do with like the um the the infrared sensors becoming gradually desynced with the system over time uh, in a way that sometimes was able to be fixed and sometimes it was not. Because I know the ones that I originally got with my switch had the the drift issue, but a firmware upgrade that they pushed very early on in the switch for the joy cons um solved that for mine and i haven't had a problem since um but now nintendo and they're not offering this in the uk yet but it seems in other territories so far they are offering basically send us your fucking broken joy con and we'll fix it free of charge which seems to be probably the most economical way to avoid a massive lawsuit.
1: yeah i mean i i have i don't know if it's specifically that that is an issue with mine but every now and again my left joystick will just go nope everything is the direction is down and there's nothing you can do about it to change that and I have to um, like either uh, reset the game or I have to turn the switch off and back on again and that will resolve the issue Um, but yeah I I have some issue where just every now and again it's just like nope just everything is down 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 and I can't do anything about it so um, yeah good times.
0: I actually heard, this is a great thing, I heard on the Giant Beast cast last week, this was reminiscent of, do you remember in the 90s, um, when they offered to post people out gloves for Smash Brothers, not Smash Brothers, Mario Party? Yes. Because all the kids, all the parents were getting annoyed (laughs) because their kids were wearing away the skin on their palms. But you know, a factor of that that I never knew until they brought it up on the Beast cast was, do you know how they figured out what
1: gloves you'd need Uh, did they hire a small Filipino child to test with different types of gloves? No, it's better. Um, So you know the way,
0: like normally if it's glove size, you would just tell them what glove size you are, and they'll send you out, like like if you're ordering on Amazon. No, apparently you had to trace an outline of your hand and send it into them.
1: (laughs) Perfect uh it's yeah i i really wish i had been able to do that back in the day because i'd have outlined the like outline of my dog or something so i could get like perfect dog size gloves you were about to say penis weren't you no no (laughs) i'm gonna say dog it's it sounded like you really were gonna and then like pulled away from the punchline at the last second no because i was thinking puppy but i went with dog instead yeah
0: okay fair um so yeah like that fair play that's probably the least nintendo can do if firmware upgrades aren't going to do it like you really should be offering uh, to replace them i'm not sure if it's a thing where you know it would seem to me that the the best thing to do would be kind of the way sony do it where you can return the broken hardware through the shop you bought it in uh once you get a reference code off the website make it easier than actually physically posting the thing yourself um, and that way you get the replacement Joy-Con in the shop when you go in there, rather than have to wait on them to send one back out to you, but who the fuck knows, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not as like chaotic with the whole thing with the PlayStations that were balked and had to be sent to Germany, which was the thing you had to deal with, wasn't it?
0: Uh, yeah, mine wasn't necessarily that that same. Um, at least like when they confirmed that they weren't able to, to resurrect mine, they just sent me a new one. Oh yeah, um, that was what happened, wasn't it? yeah yeah um so that was grand but uh anyway moving on from that what have we got up next on the schedule here ah uh, yes finally this was a story that broke in the uk um just a couple of days before recording um rockstar have been
1: uh a bit naughty uh mark with uk tax laws Yeah, so, um, I know uh, Jim Sterling put a video up about this, I think, within the last 24 hours or so that I was watching through about this, and I saw some tweets about it. Uh, Basically, Rockstar Games, um, from uh, over the past 10 years, have not paid any UK taxes whatsoever. Uh, When you take into account that they've made, from the period of like 2013 to now, about $5 billion dollars off of the back of Grand Theft Auto 5. uh That is a lot of money that has not been coming, you know, a lot of tax that hasn't been paid. And considering that, I can't remember when it was, but a good few years ago, the uh, government introduced the tax incentive scheme for uh, British Development Studios to offer tax reliefs. Um, and, you know, I, I guess, as far as I'm aware, that Rockstar North would fit under that scheme. Um, I can only imagine that they've been, you know, able to... Used that scheme to you know save money or get money for tax relief and also not pay any tax uh, and I just that's just fucking utterly utterly astonishing uh, and you know they're probably going to get away with it and uh, uh, I just if I spent too much too much time thinking about it I'd end up beating grass or something and I just don't have the energy
0: yeah, it's um, it's not a remarkable news story in terms of big video game company or big tech company not paying taxes in the
1: country that they declare residence in. Yeah. Oh, here, it says uh, in here actually it, they they applied for and had been granted around forty two million pounds in yeah. tax credits from the video game tax relief it's, scheme. It
0: yeah, it's the cheek that they applied for a tax credit while not paying tax, um, and like the fact that they had claimed that um they had claimed that in the process of applying for that tax that the grand theft auto games were culturally british there is nothing um, about
1: gta 5 which is culturally british
0: yeah there is like <laughs> they're trying so hard to make it say that. oh yeah british as fuck oh this is british oh what pay taxes no way <laughs> you know uh british when it suits them i guess <sighs> But, uh, especially when you consider that the parent company is take two none of this is really fucking surprising to be honest no uh,
1: and the worst bit about it is just the fact that they'll get away with it that's that's the angry thing it's not even so much that it's happened it's just that nothing will happen because of it
0: um, 100% yeah
1: yeah and um, Anyway, that's the news done
0: for another week. Uh, our main feature now on Link to the Cast is the Link to the Cast Book Club, where we talk about a game from the past that you should either play for the first time if you haven't before, play again if it's been a while. Uh, it's Mark Robinson's turn this week as we talk uh, some retro gaming fun with Shovel Knight. <laughs>
1: Shovel Knight is a 2D side-scrolling platform game developed and published by Yacht Club Games. Following a successful Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign, the game was released for Microsoft Windows, Nintendo 3DS and Wii U in June 2014. The game was ported to OSX and Linux in September 2014, PlayStation 3, 4, Vita and Xbox One in April 2015, Amazon Fire TV in September 2015 and the Nintendo Switch in March 2017. Shovel Knight is inspired by gameplay and graphics of platformer games developed for the NES. The game has received critical acclaim, on various awards and is considered one of the best and most significant independent games of all time. Following the release of the additional campaigns, the original story received the retronym Shovel of Hope. The full game is referred to as Shovel Knight Treasure Trove, Trove, which includes two other campaigns, The Plague of Shadows and Spectre of Torment. These just all sound like fucking uh, uh, Game of Thrones uh, films or episodes or whatever. Um, The third bonus campaign, King of Cards, and multiplayer fighting game Shovel Knight Showdown have been delayed and have no release date yet. So... Uh, the platform prodigy is here to talk about one Indeed. of the best platforming games of all times. And, and we should specify as well. So I said retro in the build up to this. Uh, but to
0: specify, this is kind of like this is like retro the new inspired. Wave, yeah, the new wave of games retro inspired where retro became really cool again around the like end of last generation, start of this generation. Uh, I think of games like this and Mercenary Kings and a bunch of others that just had that like old old school aesthetic to them um that really brought these games back into the fore.
1: Yeah, and I mean what makes Shovel Knight it's, it's two things that really gives Shovel Knight the um retro flavor uh, and one of them is obviously the you know visual design it very much fits within that Retro art style, but obviously is you know very much uh, a modern take on it because it has a whole bunch of things like uh, power scrolling that just things that w- wouldn't be available that wouldn't be technically uh, possible back in the late '80s, early '90s that uh, we are able to do now. Uh, and the other thing is it's very much true and tried trusted uh, trusted uh, approach to level design that very much is influenced by games from the the NES and you know, when you think of a side-scrolling platformer in the way that um, Shovel Knight moves, you immediately would think of Mega Man. And when I was seeing footage of it early on, that you that was the comparison I looked to. But, I mean, the way that Shovel Knight actually controls and, and he's... Uh, Method of attack he has much more in line with the likes of Castlevania and Ducktales of all things, Um, you know, because Scrooge McDuck has uh, his main kind of method of attack is he has his walking stick that he would jump up in the air and he would land with his stick on his enemies and one of Shovel Knight's attacks is basically that and he can bounce off the heads of these enemies and bounce along with his shovel so uh, it has. A lot of the level design ideas and and the flow from one room to the other of a Mega Man, but it actually it just picks and grabs the best bits from a whole bunch yeah. of different games. Uh, I yeah. wanted to ask you, like, uh, so I think you've had like minimal contact with this game, but I just want to get a kind of quick yeah. overview of what you know before I babble on for the next 10 it's, so
0: minutes. It, it's kind of a thing where like the whole. Retro is great again. Thing is cool, but the the problem with it for me inherently because I'm not as much of a platform guy as you do that it takes it, it. It's only the rare one of those games that proper sticks with me for a while, and I tend to get distracted by the new shiny toy coming out. So, like as you said, I had minimal contact with shovel Knight I got it on my Vita. Um and really enjoyed the couple of hours I spent with it and that, that old school platforming and Metroidvania feel to it. Um, but I don't know what it is came out or it's just the fact that it was on the Vita and the Vita was the Vita. So you never really played anything too long on that thing. Um, but I just kind of without like, there was nothing about the game that turned me off it. I just kind of bounced off it a little by probably dint of being distracted by something big. Um, that came out um which is no disservice to the game it just felt like around that time mark there was just a lot of these kind of games coming out and it was hard for anything to break through the noise like if I think of the one during that period of time that that kind of came out that I spent the most time with would probably be Axiom Verge um which was like maybe a year after this or two years after this um, but other than that, like a lot of these games, I'd play for a couple of hours, like Mercenary Kings, which I mentioned earlier. I play for a couple of hours and be like, that's really cool. And fucking completely fall out of my head forever then.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, um, because Shovel Knight just it scratches like all those itches that I look for in in my favorite types of games. There was no way I wouldn't see this thing through to the end. Um, and you know it has that that right level degree of difficulty about it, and and just excellent level design, and a actually a very well told story that is mostly done uh, within gameplay and and um, kind of action cutscenes uh, with minimal dialogue. So um, I get it though that yeah they're obviously between the the tail end of or uh, you know midway through the uh last generation and this generation we did get a glut of different indie games that you know there were a lot of you know, side scroller uh games like this and fucking even Mega Man went back to its roots with Mega Man nine and ten so I, I definitely can identify there. Um but I got this uh originally I had it on my Wii U. Um because God bless that Wii U. It's it's such a it's a console that's just it's kind of like the GameCube, actually, as well. It's a, a platform that we look back now that I just don't think is the credit that it actually really does deserve. I have
0: such complex feelings about that thing. Like the form <laughs> factor of that console, not not a huge fan. That said, like a lot of games... That were on that console, I have such great time for. And I hope over time all of the great ones I loved on there get to escape the I Wii mean, U and play it on the Switch. We've got a fair few of them already, so we're yeah. well on
1: our way. Dude, Wind Waker HD, get that on the yeah. fucking switch and get it on there in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. Um but I, you know, I love playing this on, on my Wii U on the big tablet screen. Um it just it fit perfectly for for me. Um but yeah, so as mentioned, like the actual kind of flow of the game or the actual kind of mechanics it, it did dabble and pick from a different bunch of areas um one of the things that i really like about it is that the uh, difficulty of the game there wasn't like a fixed difficulty setting and what it would actually do is the uh, the way i love games that they actually make the difficulty setting as part of the you know the gameplay and how you play it will determine the whether you want to play this you know normal or hard setting and so it takes the uh, the Dark Souls approach that um, if you die, uh, you will drop a bunch of currency. Uh, in this case, there'd be a bunch of uh, floating uh, bags on the screen that would be you know, gold and silver. Um, and you would go back to your last checkpoint. And now there were, uh, between levels, I think there were like four or five checkpoints uh, that were like these kind of big light bulbs that a, fl- uh, a flame would appear when you kind of passed a signify, you know, you were crossing that checkpoint. But what you could also do was break these um big giant light bulbs and if you did that you would get more currency and more money so you know in theory you could go past and complete a a level without ever completing a checkpoint to give yourself more currency to you know buy more upgrades and whatnot um with the trade-off being that obviously if you died you would go back to whatever was actually the last um checkpoint you passed so if you didn't pass any you would go back to the start of that level and um that you know i i love little things like that that completely change the dynamic of of the game and the level because you know you get to choose you know do i want to risk uh passing this checkpoint and not actual breaking this checkpoint and um you know if it's a particularly difficult setting you know i'm fucked now i have to try and get through all of this um with with the risk that I may have to go back, however far, and obviously you're losing uh, your money every time that you die. So that was one little feature that um, I I can I, I identify as much as possible with someone who plays Dark Souls, because I've obviously never spent much time with those games was uh, the longest you spent with those games was watching, watching you. me
0: try to play it
1: yes that is the longest i've spent with those games <laughs> so seeing that mechanic put into a game that i can enjoy and i can get a palette for that and a, a, a taste of that uh, i greatly appreciate that uh, your club games uh, added that uh, feature uh graphically as mentioned you know it has that NES style but you know the color palette is is exponentially larger um the animation and you know stuff that goes on in the background uh is just it's stuff that wouldn't be possible uh in an nes game you know this game just simply wouldn't be able to be made and i think that it just it genuinely if you are not a fan of the pixel art style or you're tired of the pixel art style i completely can understand that but that that style of game. We've seen so many games over the last five, ten years between the likes of say this um and Owlboy is one that comes to mind where, you know, they just are genuinely gorgeous looking games and um if you know if you prefer um, a 2019 um, 4k model of a human being that you know that's and it is lifelike and realistic and that's the thing that you look for fine I get that but I still think there is a beauty and a craft and a skill that is required to make something look the way that something like Shovel Knight looks and it's so just it pops off the screen with its colors and um, it's Different environments that it goes with, you know, there are some cliche environments. There's kind of like a volcano type uh, Setting there are your general like forest and field type settings. So it It doesn't go too out of the the box of those kinds of things, but the levels there I still think you know the the things that they do with them uh, Look amazing
0: And that is like something that really talks people in the door is that like, like you said, that the pixel art thing, especially during this period of time, it felt like every other game coming out was, oh, yeah, look at this pixel art style. It looks, looks cool. It looks old. But there were very few games that I think uh, employed it so vibrantly Um, as Shovel Knight. I feel that even though it, it was that kind of old retro style, it just felt so the palette was so drenched and and up to 11 and and that's the thing that really the bloom of it um really is arresting to the eyes i think
1: yeah and it, it, the, you know they cross the entire span of the color palette you know if you look at any two levels there's such a uh, a wide kind of vast difference between them and you know and you can see the influences are very much worn on, on their sleeves. You know, you have levels that look like something straight out of the Mega Man game. You have levels that look like something straight out of a Castlevania game. So um but obviously taking those influences and making its own thing. Um but yeah it's it's just such a gorgeous game. Um the actual like way that Shovel Knight controls it's again it takes the standard approach of you know you move left to right you have kind of single screen uh, areas that you know you'll climb down a ladder you'll go left you go right and the screen will scroll um but you know shovel knight himself it isn't say like in uh, say mega man where it's kind of like a run and gun so you're kind of shooting constantly left or right but it's actually more close combat um he can use projectile weapons but his main form of uh attack is the uh, shovel uh, which you know he can't throw or anything he just kind of kind of hit either side to him um but he can also use a shovel obviously it is a shovel so he can dig and find like um different kind of rewards around him if he finds the right area uh, and he has the ability to bounce off the heads of, of enemies uh, which sometimes can play into um different platforming challenges you know if you're trying to get across an area that is on fire or there's poison or whatever and you might need to use your enemies to uh To bounce across those areas, Um, and you know, it's it would be too easy to say that it's just a Mega Man clone because it really isn't. You know, the way it plays and it feels is completely different to uh, Mega Man in that style. And as mentioned, it takes so many uh, elements from other games of that uh, era that you know it 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 does feel like its own thing even though it's taking stuff from so many different games but it it kind of patches it all together in a frankenstein's monster um that looks a lot better than robert and nero and kenneth Branagh.
0: yeah it doesn't uh i think that's the the core of it really like it doesn't reinvent the wheel in any great way but it is a particularly good one of those yeah absolutely,
1: absolutely it's You know, I've seen every fucking type of that type of game that's been made in the past 10 years. And there's a reason that Shovel Knight has kind of risen above all of those, because Mm. it not only doesn't play exactly like them because it's doing its own kind of unique thing, but it takes all of those things and just kind of makes it its own thing, I guess. Um but while still applying, you know, a lot of different types of level design tropes that I've seen in other games and you know, even the fucking the the overworld map, it you look at it and it's immediately okay, well this is the overworld map from Super Mario Bros. three. Um but it just it has a lot more uh just a lot more going on in the screen and obviously again it's just one of these things that okay, this is definitely that style of game but done in twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. Um so yeah, it's just it's visually arresting and gameplay wise arresting, I guess.
0: Uh, in terms of the, the the subsequent campaigns, have you if you had much exposure to
1: them? Yeah, so I played from what I remember of it, but it was a while ago. Uh, I did play uh, *Plague of Shadows*. Um, so the you know the the enemies in the game, kind of like this, is where the Mega Man part comes in. Is that there's a different night for each area. And one of the areas was uh, a guy called Plague Knight, who he uses bombs instead of uh, shovel. Nice shovel. So you know the gameplay kind of changes there. Um, but you players could kind of customize the properties of Plague Knight's bombs uh, by changing like the casting and which you know affects how they are thrown, uh, and the powder which affects like what happens when they explode, and the fuse to determine when they explode. So. <laughs> even though the levels are similar to shovel knights uh, there are a few differences and uh, his moveset makes the you know parts of the level have to be a little bit different so i played a little bit of that i never played spectre of torment um and again spectre of the knight controls completely differently so the game feels different um and obviously the new expansion when it's out i'll probably try um but i do at some point you know i still haven't actually bought the treasure trove uh pack on the switch and i don't
0: 30 quid isn't it yeah and i
1: don't know why i've never gotten around to getting it i think it's been on offer a couple of times
0: yeah i think i nabbed it on offer before i think i have it um it's just again again it's another one of those something comes out it's hard to especially when we try to stay current on things it's hard to find the excuse to dip back on stuff you've kind of tipped into before but i'm feeling now like maybe after this show i'm going to go play a little
1: yeah i definitely would recommend just kind of have a crack at the first couple of levels and if you if you if it gives you the feels to obviously just continue, go with it and play it. Um but it's it's it is genuinely like it is one of my favorite games of the last generation. Um
0: it, as a an enthusiast for it before we start to wrap things up, um we we talked there a little bit about the delayed third campaign, King of Cards, um and the, the idea of a multiplayer fighting game, Shovel Knight Showdown um as a fan of this of the uh the game so far what kind of stuff would you like to see would you like to see them with that third campaign do something differently uh do as they've kind of been doing with the other expansions variations uh, rather than complete diversions and what are your thoughts on a shovel knight fighting game as well
1: so i'm happy with them to continue with what they're doing with the um with the expansions the way they've been because you know they take something that is similar but they slightly rework it and that because the the characters handle differently um you know the experiences are different and and i'm totally fine with that uh, i think shovel knight showdown as as a concept and from you know the gameplay footage that i've watched is is absolutely something up my wheelhouse it kind of reminds me um a little bit there's a game called uh, I think it's was Samurai Gun I want to say uh, and something like a little bit like uh, I think it was Towerfall is the game I'm thinking of where you had uh, up to like four players on the screen and um, it's you know just it has a little bit I guess of a Smash Bros kind of vibe about it um, you know just you know chaos on the screen at all times and characters have their own different movesets and whatnot. and I'm totally on board of it I, it's something that I definitely would play and um yeah, I'm. I'm really. As long as they don't go too mad with it and then start making like party games and cart racing games, uh, I think that uh, kind of multiplayer uh, fighting single screen experience like this, I think, is a good approach to take with, with *Shovel Knight*. And the characters all have their own, you know, unique attacks and abilities, and and they have a, a wide variety of of knights to work with. That uh, I think I think is a very logical approach to take, and it looks really awesome from the footage I've seen. Hit me with your elevator pitch, son. knight is one of the best platforming games, retro platforming games or retro style platforming games uh, from the prior generation and, you know, continuing into this generation. It takes all of the influences that you would uh, think of and expect to see uh, from the classic NES generation of games uh, and, but, you know, puts a unique spin on it and uh it is genuinely you know i can pick up and play that game for a little bit a little bit of time and it's just as much of a blast um it is it has a genuine challenge to it so you know if you want something with a, a bit of difficulty to it uh, i i can definitely definitely recommend some shovel knight
0: cool um that's gonna do it for another episode of, of linked to the cast uh, at linked to the cast on twitter is the place to go for your intrepid hosts here. I'm at the day-to-day. Mark is at Lithium Project. And Jack, who is on assignment, is at Jack Laisel. Um, It's been good to have Mark back on the show. It's been a while since we've chatted. Hopefully our full compliment will be back next week for a Hobbs and Shaw Spectacular. Um, but yeah, that, that's going to do it for another episode of Link to the Cast. Uh, until next week, we shall see you down the road somewhere. Goodbye, my friends.